Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Hebrews, the seventh chapter. We'll read the first ten verses. Hear now God's Word. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom each, even the patriarchs, Abraham, gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. The theme of today's sermon is that when we are truly thankful, then we are truly giving. John D. Rockefeller was one of the wealthiest men who ever lived, and after he died, someone asked his accountant, how much did John D. leave? And he replied, he left all of it. Christians, if we give instead of keep, if we invest in the eternal instead of the temporal, then we store up treasures in heaven that will never, ever stop paying dividends. Whatever treasures we store up on earth are going to be left behind when we leave. Whatever treasures we store up in heaven will be waiting for us when we arrive. First Chronicles 29.14, as David looked at what he and his people were giving to the Lord, it humbled him. And he said, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. God, everything we got came from you, and all we're doing is giving a little bit of it back. John Wesley toured a vast estate with a proud plantation owner, and they rode their horses for hours, and they only saw a fraction of his property. The plantation owner eagerly asked, well, Mr. Wesley, what do you think? And Wesley replied, I think you're going to have a hard time leaving all of this. To everyone's amazement, Sam Houston, the colorful soldier and politician, came to faith in Christ. And after his baptism, Houston said he wanted to pay half the local minister's salary. When someone asked him why, he responded, my pocketbook was baptized too. Now, I know for a fact that every one of you is already tithing. 
And I want to commend all of you who are tithing to the church, and that is most of you. But others are giving their tithe somewhere else. That's not only, uh, that's not only not good for the church, it's not good for you. And I'll say sometimes talking about money is awkward. I hate, ask, I hate asking someone for money. But I want to say up front that I don't feel awkward or embarrassed about speaking to you about tithing because I am only the messenger. These are God's tithes and your offerings. Those are two different things. The tithe is God's. He says it's his. It belongs to him. It's not yours. Now, you, can, you have other offerings that are yours, free will offerings, love offerings. God's word speaks authoritatively to every area of life and faith, including the use of our money. We can't afford to hold back on this issue any more than we could afford to hold back on any other issue or any other area of life. Why would we go to the Bible about other areas of life and not go to the Bible about this? Gary North once said, love the Lord your God with all your money. That's a bumper sticker uh, that captures the essence of the idea. Or Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or we could turn that around and say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Tithing is one of the few ways to really kill the idol of our materialism. So allow me to begin by making some strong arguments for tithing. As I said, I know already that everybody is tithing because the first thing is that tithing is an inescapable concept. It's the way God made the world. When we give the tithe, we offer a tribute that is a form of honor to something or someone. It's a token The 10% represents the whole. It's an acknowledgement. And, of course, this is what's due to God. God is the giver of all good gifts. And so we bring 10% as a ritual signification that 100% of it is the Lord's. Is that settled in your mind? It's all His. We don't pay the money because we have extra and God is a little short. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So all that we have belongs to him and we tend to forget this. And so God instituted a little reminder and he requires 10% and he requires it off the top. Second, looking at our text today. Uh, regarding Melchizedek and the Levites. Now, this is going to be a very quick uh, exposition of this to make this particular point, but I think it's an extremely powerful point. So the argument in our text today is that Melchizedek is much greater than Abraham, even though Abraham had the promises. We think of the Abrahamic promise, the promise of the Messiah. But this text says Melchizedek was even greater than Abraham. So who is this mysterious Melchizedek? He's only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. And in fact, if we didn't have 
what we have here in the book of Hebrews, we might just read past his name along with lots of other names and have no real clue who he was. But here we have the inspired word of God. The Holy Spirit says, okay, those names, those twice, the two times I mentioned him in the Old Testament, let me tell you who he was and why he is so central, absolutely essential to the gospel. He is critical to understanding how Christ can be a high priest even though he's not a Levite. Scripture reveals in this passage that Jesus' priesthood is not a Levitical priesthood, but it is rather of the order of Melchizedek. And the Bible, God himself, is about to tell us who that is and why this is so significant. The whole argument is that the Melchizedekian priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. This is first seen in the fact that Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And the text says, the greater always blesses the lesser. And second, it is also seen in the fact that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Not only was this so, but we are told that Abraham's descendants, still in his loins by federal representation, they too were represented in that tithe. Hebrews 7, 9, and 10. Even Levi, who receives tithes, he's a Levite, of course, he's Levi, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Even before Levi was a twinkle in his grandfather's eye, Melchizedek was already receiving tithes from Abraham, who was the head of the Jewish people. This is a powerful and mature instruction about the nature of the covenant. Men... You represent the future generations of your descendants, your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so forth. And remember the point of this letter to the Hebrews, which is the supremacy of Christ's person and Christ's office. And so your children are also represented in who you are tithing to. And so I ask you, are you honoring God on their behalf? There are implications going forward. Who are you, are you investing in their future by honoring God? Who are you paying tribute to? And you are paying tribute to someone or something because that 10% is not yours. It's going somewhere. Your God is receiving your tithes. No one objects when God demonstrates his greatness by blessing us materially. But some do mind having to declare God's greatness through the tithe, but the two go together. Nothing in the New Testament indicates that the practice of tithing is set aside. There is continuity between the Old and the New Testament here. And the third point is worship. This is why we take up God's tithes and your offerings as a part of our worship service. Worship is praising God for who he is and for what he's done. 
And one of the things he has done is to bless us all with some measure of wealth. Tithes and offerings are but tokens of gratitude that we offer back to God as a part of our worship. They're not, they're not meritorious. They are symbols of thanksgiving. They are an indication of our gratitude and an indication of where our hearts are. One of our dreams, one of our goals, one of your dreams and goals should be to see that the worship of God is elevated in our community. Like all great feasts and celebrations, that's not a cheap proposition. Wealth, like other physical things in this world, has a spiritual and an invisible dimension, both. So, what about the motive of our giving? So everything we have, we receive from him. The old saying is true, we can't outgive God. We love him because he first loved us, and we give because he first gave to us. God is the giver of all good gifts. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also uh, with him freely give us all things? Giving is an expression of love. It's sacrifice, it's gratitude and thankfulness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In Romans 1, it's those who fail to give thanks to God, who fail to show him gratitude, that were given over to their own lust and their own self-destruction. And since gifts are tokens of love, gratitude, and thankfulness, they express the value that we place on the things that they are tokens of. A cheap gift, often, not always, means that we don't value the object of the gift very much. For example, ladies, how would you like to receive McDonald's coupons each year for your anniversary gift? What would you say about your husband's love for you? On the other hand, if great labor, if great thought or money went into the anniversary gift, then what message would be received? And thus we read in Matthew 2.11, And when they, that is the wise men, had opened their treasures, they presented him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. God requires the first fruits, not the dregs, not the leftovers, not our spare change, not our spare time. Exodus 23:19, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 26, 8 through 11. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land 
flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given to me. Then you shall eat it and set before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. And God requires that we sacrifice, uh, that the sacrifices be spotless and without blemish. Exodus 12:5, your lamb shall be without blemish. Malachi 1, 7-8, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? And in John 12, 1 through 7, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who, was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said, not that he cared for, he said that, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. And so we ought to always be striving to glorify God with the quality of our giving, flawed though it may be. Give him the best that you have. He knows what you can and can't do, and he also knows what you need, and he knows how much you have because he gave it to you in the first place. Mark 12, 41-44. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money in the offering plate. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So it's really simple. God requires the tithe of his people. You've heard me say uh, this many times. I say it uh, when I do premarital counseling. There are any number of things that we ought to make a decision one time about. We decide we go to Sunday school and church. That's what we do. That's who we are. We don't have that debate on Saturday night or Sunday morning or once a week or once a month. We just did that one time, and now that one's off our list. It's already done. Same with tithing. We just we tithe. That's what we do. That's who we are. Why? Because that's what God requires. And he's blessed me so richly, and I want to be thankful. 
And I want to get more blessings, to be honest with you. And so that settles it. It's our duty to tithe, and it's our privilege to tithe. And this is consistent with the gospel message. Jesus required the total commitment of our lives, right? Luke 14. So likewise, whoever of you does not, this is Jesus, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And in Luke 9, 23-25, then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is, a, is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed and lost? The demands of Christ are total, not minimal. The words of Jesus were and are hard for many to hear. But he never reduced the Christian life to a few external duties that would be good enough. In fact, his words were so hard and they were so demanding that we are told that many who came out to follow him turned and followed him no more. And I fear that in the church today there are some who have falsely comforted themselves with such minimal performance. So if everybody performed like you do, what would the church be like? Everybody tithed and gave the way you give. What would it be like? We could ask that question about any number of things, right? What is the least I can do and still go to heaven? But Jesus warns not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my heavenly Father in heaven, of my Father in heaven. And we already know what his will is regarding this issue. Lives of gratitude and giving both to God and his people are what give God pleasure and glory. And in fact, in Malachi, God actually indicts his people for not tithing. Malachi 3, 8 through 10, Will a man rob God, he asked? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now their first response when he said this to them was this, what are you talking about? Or perhaps, well, we don't make very much money, and God has plenty without my tithe. But God insists that they are robbing him by taking for themselves what is his, and it's not ours to keep, and so keeping it is to become a thief. And by the way, in the Bible, that's the same argument really about all, I think, all sins, a form of theft. So, for example, we have very specific uh, statements to that effect regarding fornication and adultery. She's not your wife. 
You don't get to do that with her until she is. And you don't get to do this because it's theft. Now you are rich. Really. God has blessed you and he's required the tithe of you. And if you refuse to pay, the Bible indicates that he'll collect it in other ways. He can feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. We like that story. But what about the story in Hosea? The one where he says, I'll put holes in your pockets. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai. I said Hosea, I meant Haggai, I'm sorry. The prophet saying, it is time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins. Don't you think of the temple here as the church, broadly speaking, not the church building per se. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but don't have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but not, no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look much, but indeed it came to little. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. And so I believe texts like this can be properly applied to the church since the people of God are in fact the temple. And it occurred to me, I wonder... If perhaps inflation is one of the ways God put, puts holes in our pockets. In many ways, the Reformed and Evangelical Church is in disrepair and has become ineffective and irrelevant to the world. The salt of the earth is no longer salty. The problem in Haggai's day and in ours is that personal comfort and affluence often comes before the work of God's kingdom It comes before the church. We have money for travel and entertainment, money for our own pleasure and glory, and that's more important than God's pleasure and glory. The temple of the Lord Lord is not a priority. Now, again, I know that that's not true of many of you. But what is the result of these misplaced priorities? It's simple. It's what it always is. God brings judgment for disobedience. There's clearly a connection between obedience and prosperity. Joshua 1.8 tells us that this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. And then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So God warns us that he withholds genuine prosperity from us until we repent and faithfully serve him 
And the way to, genuinely, to, to genuine blessing is faithfulness to God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then these things will be added to you. It's a matter of faith and trusting in God. Luke 6:38. give, and it will be given to you. Give, uh, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And then what about the quantity of our giving? Well, all that we have, we owe to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you are bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's spiritually and materially, physically, So whatever quantity we give, it's still just a token of what he's given to us and to whom much is given, much is required. And so sacrificial giving, this would be the first test, sacrificial giving should involve sacrifice, giving up something. Tithing, though, sets both a lower and an upper limit on giving. I think this is important. So 10% is the minimum, Old or New Testament. And while you may give more, you're not required to give more. I think that's to keep people from being exploited by others who might manipulate that. Free will offerings or love offerings are gifts that go above and beyond the tithe. They are additional expressions of gratitude to God. And so I would simply ask, how much gratitude have you shown lately? Perhaps some could take a big chunk of their accumulated wealth and bless the church just because they want to. So, bring all your tithes into the storehouse. When you join the church, and every time we say we do, when someone else joins the church, we take an oath, an oath, a vow. We swear before God and before God's people, quote, to support this congregation by your prayers, attendance, tithing, and labor. So do you take your word seriously? God does. Do you keep your promises? So the question for all of us today is, are you loving God with all your money? What does the index of your gratitude to God show? Is it reflected in your thanksgiving? And what is your salvation worth? I close with 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you are the giver of life and the giver of salvation. You gave us your only begotten Son, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, King of Righteousness, Prince of Peace, 
You redeemed us from slavery and set us free. And by your grace, you have freely given us faith that we might receive your blessing of salvation and abundant life. Indeed, you have freely given us all things above and beyond all that we could ask or think. By your love, you have poured out the Holy Spirit in our hearts. You have blessed us with material and spiritual gifts. You have promised us an inheritance which is incorruptible and will not fade away. O Lord, we pay Christ our tribute with both our praises and our tithes. Help us, Lord, to remember and to have giving hearts, to be faithful and cheerful givers, to show forth our gratitude for all that you have given to us that we might trust in you. Thank you for all that you have provided in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our meal offering to you. He is our priest and mediator. As a royal priesthood, we now receive this meal from you, that we might also eat the bread of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Most high and mighty ruler of the universe, by whom we have been established and preserved, we thank and praise you for your favor shown to our fathers and mothers, and for your faithfulness that has continued toward their children and their children's children. Indeed, you are a covenant-keeping God, and there is no shadow of turning with you. Especially, we thank you for your great love in sending your unchanging Son to be the Savior of the world, and in calling us out of sin, our sins and into fellowship with him. And we thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, through whom we may grow continually in thankfulness toward you, and also into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We bless you, for you have blessed us in our callings, Teach us the lessons of contentment to serve you gladly where we are. Even in our failures, we pray that you would conform us to the image of your Son. Grant to us a fervent love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Enable our brotherly love to continue so that the world might see that we are disciples of Christ. Bless now this Lord's Day as we rest, fellowship, and feast. Continue your mercies toward us, we pray, that all the world may know that you are our everlasting Savior and mighty Deliverer, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen.